All right. Thank you, Tina, for that interesting introduction. I got, I got nothing to say now. I'm an intern pastor. Um, I'm David. Hello, everyone. Nice to meet you. Um, let's just uh, get up real quick and touch five people and say, it's going down tonight. All right, so uh, anyone here feel under the weather a little bit? Raise your hand if you feel a little sick. Yeah, anyone get sick the last couple days? Oh, the devil is a liar. Oh, my goodness. I sound like I'm going through puberty again. Uh, I lost my voice yesterday, and um, I'm just going to ask you all to bear with me. But just uh, for those of you who are feeling a little sick, a little under the weather, you know, one of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, our God is healer. So... I'm just going to pray a really quick prayer uh, for you, but, but also myself. But, so if you're feeling sick, just put out your hands. I'm just going to pray a, a prayer of healing, all right? Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And by your blood, our wounds are healed. Our iniquities are gone, Father. And I just pray and I claim the blood of Jesus over every single person who's feeling sick right now in Jesus' name. God, I remove all infirmity. I bind it up. I cast it out in the name of Jesus. I declare there's full healing. Yeah, full healing, 100% healing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's get to it. So I'm going to preach from the book of Judges. Oh, so get ready. Anybody scared here? You know, who Have you heard a lot of messages from the book of Judges? For those of you who went to church or grew up in church. and What are some famous judges? Just, just speak it out. Anybody know? Deborah, all right, got some girl power up in here. All right, Deborah. Uh, you know, who, who's the other guy? Samson, right? You know, he's got the long hair. Anyone here? Any brothers here have long hair here, here before? Anyone now? No? Okay. I was the only one then, I guess. I, I had a, like a 20-inch bang. Uh, my bangs were to my nose. I got, I got a, who said, ew, get out of here right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and then I, um. I got cornrows before. For those of you who don't know, you can look at my old profile pictures. But um, yeah, I have really long hair, you know, like Samson. But, but I'm not preaching on him tonight. I'm going to preach on this man named Jephthah. Yes, that's what I wanted. I wanted all these question marks on people's faces. And uh, yeah, so if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 10. I'm just going to call him Jeff, okay, because... It's it's easier that way. I gotta save my voice since I'm going through puberty right now. And um it's actually spelled Yipta in, in the Hebrew, but I don't know why they a lot of times they make the wine to J. But anyways, let's go to uh the book of Judges and I'm just gonna read various parts of it. So follow with me. If you're at Judges chapter ten, say I love Jeff. Alright. I think some of you guys said it even though you weren't there, but it's all good. So let me just give you a quick summary. Um, in chapter 10, what happens? The Israelites, they disobey again, right? And, you know, they, they fall, and, and the whole book of Judges from beginning to end is just them. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, uh, Israel, we, we obeyed other gods. We made idols. Oh, and then God raises up a judge. He delivers us. And then we're like, oh, yeah, we all live happily ever after. And then, you know, 30 years later, 
Same thing happens, and then God raises up another judge, and and this is this is the um, cycle they're in right now. So, what happens is, uh, you know, if you go to, let's go to verse seven of ten, and this is after uh, the people of Israel start serving all these gods, and and it says in verse seven, chapter ten, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. And for 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Okay, so another wave of persecution comes, and then uh, the Ammonites come, and they, they're, they're oppressing these people for 18 years specifically, right? So what happens? The people of Israel cry in verse 10. It says, Oh Lord, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And God's like, Again, you know, did I not tell you to not serve these people? And and long story short, uh, Israel repents. They put away the foreign gods. And then it says, uh, in particular, in verse 16, after they do that, and after they start deciding to serve the Lord, God says uh, he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Okay, so sounds very familiar, right? So who here likes... Uh, Lord of the Rings, or, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Or, uh, you know, like any, any Disney movie, like, like Tangled, or, um, Snow White, and, and I didn't even, I didn't really like that one. But, anyways, you know, this, this is what's going on. Like, like something bad happened, and there's all this evil that has come, you know, it's just like, uh, for, guys, help me out, Lord of the Rings. What's that, what's that, what's that land called? Mordor, I was about to say Middle Earth, but that's, that's Thor. Uh, anyways, yeah, so Mor- Mordor, you know, like the orcs and all the evil, you know, the eye things, all these little people are like evil, and evil has taken over the land, and for those of you who saw The Hobbit 2 that came out a couple months ago, and Hobbit 3 is coming up in a couple months, hallelujah, you know, what's happening, like the, the forest is getting darker, and you know, there's like crazy spiders that, that could just you know, kill you and are bigger than you. And it's just crazy, you know. In the same kind of way, this is what's happening. And there's a darkness. Dun, dun, dun. You know, taking over the land here in Gilead, the, the land that the Israelites have. And what happens? Whenever there's some some dark uh, setting, it's always a setup, right? It's a time for Aragon to come and just start taking its place again, the sword, you know, making, hammering it together, putting the piece together and start chopping off some ghost's heads and leading an army. Come on, guys. You guys saw the third one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Or Twin Towers. All right, ladies, Legolas. Uh, okay, okay. You know, it's, it's, you start getting these gangster people and, you know, bow and arrow, bam, what you know about that? You know, it's all set up for people to just come and, and take their place, right? So that's what's going on right here in the book of Judges. And then you got my man, Jeff. Say with me now, Jeff. My man, Jeff. My man, Jeff. So starting chapter 11. Now read with me. It says, now Jeff, the Gileadite, the Gilead, I don't know how to say that, but Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Mm. Uh, But he was the son of a prostitute. Okay. Uh, Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jeph and went out with him. Okay, so what happens? 
you know, Jeff is introduced, and the first thing that they say is, he was a mighty warrior, okay? He's a valiant warrior, a warrior of God. And then it says, but he was the son of a prostitute. Okay, so you got this guy, Jeff, and he's, he's, uh, his dad's like a pretty, like if you, if, you know, if you have a person named after the land that you're living in, it's like my dad's name is Seoul, you know, or, or Korea. Like, wow, he must be pretty important in Korea, right? Like Jeff's dad, his name was Gilead. It was the name of a whole entire region. Like my dad's name was Europe. You know, like again, this is really important, you know, really, really, uh, uh, interesting name. You know, there's some status, but, you know, the, the husband or the dad, you know, he, he slept with a prostitute. They had the son. Right? So what happens is, you know, he, he grows up. And as he's growing up, his own brothers, his own flesh and blood, or his half-brothers, they say, hey, bro, we don't like you. We don't want you. Like, give me that biscuit or give me that uh, bread or whatever they ate back then. You know, give me that. You're not getting any of the inheritance, okay? You're not getting any of this. You know, anyone here have siblings? No? Yes? Yes? Yeah, yeah. yeah you, siblings are evil, right? They, they, you'd be fighting with them and, you know, and, and that's what's happening. And what happens? He grows up and says in verse 2, they drove Jeff out. And said to him, yeah, you will not have an inheritance in our father's house. You're the son of another woman. So he goes to this, goes to this land called uh, Tob, or Tob, however you want to say it. And, you know, he, he's going there because he's, he's a loser. You know, he's the outcast. And, you know, did you guys, I mean, I, I grew up in the States, but, you know, bullying is like really, uh, uh, I don't want to say popular, but yeah, po popular for, or it's very prevalent in, in America, especially in Korea, but did you ever grow up with that one kid who's like picked on? Like, you know, in elementary school sometime. And if not, maybe you're that kid. And if that's the case, you could talk to me after. We'll, we'll go through some healing, prayer, forgiveness, whatever you need. But, you know, there, like, I remember, man, I was, uh, I went to a Christian, uh, elementary school, all right? So, you know, I look like a good Christian boy. I went to a good Christian elementary school. And, uh, I remember up to third grade, from pre-K to third grade, John Pittenger. John Pittenger, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I apologize for everyone at Open Door Christian Academy. And, um, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Can we edit that later? <laughs> so we got John Pittenger. John P., right? John P. And, man, I just felt, like, bad for the dude because... We had a small, it was a small class with like 20, 30 people maybe. And like, you know, maybe some, maybe sometimes John Pinger deserved it, okay? Cause he'd be sitting down, like in snack time, you know, he's just, he's sipping on some juice, you know, eating his animal crackers. And he thought nobody was looking, and then he just goes, <laughs> he just eats the boogie, and then we're like, ew, John Pinger! <laughs> John Pitcher ate his boogie, John, ew, John P, John P, P, Pitcher, whatever. We made all these like horrible names. We picked on the poor kid. And so he deserves it sometimes, but really like 95% of the time he didn't deserve it. And, and like, you know, once he gets picked on, you know, it's like, it's like a, um, like everyone just joins in, right? Like majority rules, like, oh, okay, we're making fun of John Pinger. Okay, I don't know you, but hey, you're stupid. You know, like we just all join in and, and it's, it's pure evil. But, you know, this is kind of like Jeff Hath, Jeff was John Pinger. Okay, Jeff was John, Jeff Pinger. Okay, so 
he was this guy getting bullied on. It was easy to pick on him because maybe he looked different from the other Israelites because he was, you know, half. Uh, actually, well, they don't they don't um, say whether he was a, a Jewish prostitute, the mom, or if the mom was a was a like Canaanite prostitute. But either way, like the socially, the social status, you could tell he was different. You know, he was in a different place. His mom, you know, his mom was a whore when it comes down to him. The Bible uses this kind of language. So they easily picked on him. So naturally, he goes out and he goes to this land of Tob. And it says what? In verse 3, And worthless fellows collected around Jepheth and went out with him. You know, isn't it interesting how God uses certain experiences or he allows you to go through certain things so that you could better relate to other people? You know, and that's exactly what God did in this man's life, Jepheth, where he allowed Jepheth to experience um, being an orphan, being uh, the one that's on the fringes, you know, being rejected by everyone. And what happens is, you know, he goes out to this land and and he's just, uh, he becomes like a Robin Hood. You know, anybody here read Robin Hood? Maybe past your time, they haven't made any movies about it, except for going with Russell Crowe, like when I was in high school, and that was horrible. But, uh, but I love Gladiator. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he becomes like a Robin Hood because what happens is these worthless fellows... What they pretty much become is they become like a band of, of, of bandits. Okay, a band of bandits. They become a band of hoodlums. They become modern day gangsters, alright? Who's from West Coast here? What's up? Right? You got the, you got the Crips and the Bloods and you got Latin, Latin Kings, you know, and all these other, um, you know, yeah, Cholo gangsters, whatever, you know, you know, Al Pacino, you know, Scarface, you know what I'm saying? Generation gap. All right. Uh, you guys need to go on um, line and look up like the top 80s um, gangster films and cas- uh, Casino, Goodfellas. All right. Anyways, um, it's not my message tonight. But, you know, what happens is he gets literal, literal um, outcasts, people who just don't fit in, you know. John Pittenger, Josh Pittenger, Joel Pittenger. You know, he gets all these little, little, little uh, outcast people and... John P., I hope you really don't listen to this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to pray and repent after this. But he gets all these guys, and literally, they they just start jumping people. They go through the, the different towns of, and villages of Gilead, this area, and they just start, like, robbing, like, like Wild Wild West, you know, like cowboys or, you know, bad people back in the day. They just go in and just take, like, the plunder the, these poor um, people in the villages and towns. And this is what Jeff and his people were known for. You know, it was like a Robin Hood, but not not good. You know, it was like a Robin bad hood. Anyways, lame joke. Uh, let's move on. And uh, thank you. Yeah, please don't clap for that. And you know, it says here in verse four, it says after a time, and this literal definition means after some days or many days. So after a really long time, you know, there's some tension before in this land, but finally the Ammonites are like, yo, yo, people of Gilead, we want your land. You know, they, they come up here and they're like, yo, give me your land, man. Give me your land. And, and, uh, you know, they're just like, hey, I want, I want to, um, like, just give it to us peacefully. So what happens is they make, they pretty much declare war. And it says in verse five, if you follow along, please follow along. It says the elders of Gilead went to bring Jepheth from the land of Tob. And they said to Jepheth, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jepheth said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jepheth, 
That is why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So what happens is, you know, they, uh, Ammonites, they declare war. They make war, make war against Israel. And then the elders are like, oh, snap. Whoever can lead us into battle against these people and defeat these Ammonites, we'll, we'll make them the head over Gilead. And this declaration goes. Some time passes. Some time passes. And then some more time passes, and nobody steps up. So these, these elders are like, man, it's not, I'm, getting, I'm getting nervous, you know? What are we going to do? Like, like we're Ammonites, they're, I don't, I don't know what they look like, but they're probably bigger than us. They're, they're declaring war against us, and they're literally threatening us. So they're, they're getting desperate. They're like, yo, let's get our man Jeff. We don't care if, you know, about Jeff Pittenger, and if he was, you know, an outcast when he was younger. The man could fight. You know, even if he doesn't fight in a good way, you know, he's a hoodlum, he's a modern day gangster, you know, he, Al Pacino, he, he's doing all these things, but, but whatever. We just need anybody to help defend our land, you know, so they get desperate. So the, the elders, they get sent to meet this guy, right? So my man Jeff, everybody, my man Jeff, what's he say? He says, did you not hate me? And drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? So he's like, He's like, well, 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 look who comes crawling back, you know, and then he, he goes to these guys and he's like, who has siblings here? All right, who fought with their siblings a lot? Keep your hands up. All right, majority of you guys, that's what I wanted. Um, you know, I have two older sisters, one's six years older, one is nine years older, and uh, Grace, my oldest one, she was like my second mother. And, you know, she, she said she was very, like, intrigued by me. Ever, ever since I was young, like, my mom would change my diaper. And she'd be like, oh. <laughs> just keep going. And she was just like, yeah. And, and we had this dynamic. Like, she was like a second mom. You know, we, we fought like a handful of times in my whole life. And um, when we did, it wasn't good. But for the majority of the time, you know, it, it was, it was, we had a good, good loving relationship, you know. But Gloria... My middle sister. You know, we always made fun of her, like, hey, you're the middle sister. Like, you're not as loved as the oldest, the youngest. <laughs> and, and, uh, Gloria, I hope, Gloria and then I hope you listen to this, actually. And, you know, we fight a lot. And, man, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm Korean American. And, you know, Koreans, we always gotta say, you know, Duna, Hyung, Opa, Ani. You know, we, we gotta, we gotta it's, it's all about honoring, you know, and, you know, uh, we got, we got, we don't really have that in the English language. It's like, hey, bro, or the heck's dog breath? You know, like whatever you call your sister or her brother. And, you know, that's all we say in English. But in um, Korean, we have to say like this honorific code, right? But I didn't do that until like I was a lot older, like like middle school when I was still rebelling. I was like, I don't want to call you Nuna, stupid Nuna, you know? And then like, I was just like not say it. And then finally, like, high school and then definitely in college, like, like, it's weird. I started saying do not then, but usually it's the opposite. I mean, not the opposite, but you learn it at a younger age. But Gloria Nuna, I'll never call her Nuna because we just, we just fought all the time. And, uh, you know, she was stronger than me. I'll admit it. Not anymore, though, but she was stronger than me. And she'd do this thing where she'd pin me down and then, like, she'd put her knees on my arms. And I'd be like, oh, oh. And I can't get up because she's stronger than me. And then she'd like, she'd like tickle me like with her hands. And then she'd tickle me, my face with her hair. And I'm like, ah! And I literally thought I was going to die. I literally, countless times I thought I was going to die. Like I really thought 
I'm going to heaven. I can't breathe. And maybe that's why I'm so athletic now because my sister almost killed me like numerous times. And she did this thing where like it's in Big Daddy, this old Adam Sandler movie where when he was actually a good actor. And, you know, she um, she would spit. But she'd be like. <laughs> and I'd be like. <laughs> it was so gross. Anybody relate? Anybody relate? Or did anyone do that? Or okay. <laughs> Somebody's calling out their student litter sister. Okay. So that's what happened with, with me and Gloria. So, you know, we, we hate each other. We fight. And then the first thing I'd always go for was her, um, her ugly, like, bear doll. And it was like this... Um, it was like a Charmin bear, like like detergent bear. It looked like cream color, but she had she's she's like my age at this point or older. She had that thing since she was born. That thing used to be cream color, but it was like dirty tan now. Like and 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 like it, I would always I, that was the first thing I'll go for. Cause she had the soul tie with it, where I'll just like I just go and I'm like, you know, you break my Legos. I just go right for the doll and I just cut the legs. And the arms, and the head, you know, and then, and then she'd sew it back on. Though, come on, guys, it's not like, it's not like a real bear, you know, like a, you know, it was, it was a doll bear. And then she'd always rip my Michael Jordan poster, and I'll just tape it back up. So that was our dynamic, you know. As I got older, though, and you know, I'm in junior high school, like all your friends are going out, and you can't drive because you can't. It's not like Korea; you can't go anywhere in, in America unless you have a car. And um, I was like, "Hey, Gloria, Luna." <laughs> Can you like um give me a ride? And then she'd be like, Oh, now you call me do now. Oh, when did blah blah blah? And I'd be like, Yeah, and maybe that was the reason why I started calling Duna. But anyways, you know, I, I I'll only go to her when I kinda needed something, you know, and I'd own and I'd politely, hey Nuna, Duna, Duna, you know, but before it's like, I'm gonna call your stupid doll, Gloria, you know, I never say Duna and with that long elaborate story, that's kinda like what's going on here with Jeff. You know, Jeff Jeff's like He's getting bullied. He's getting ostracized. He's getting kicked out. He he literally got like like um, ran out, you know, because nobody liked him. They they drove him away. And these elders are coming up to him. They're like, "Hey, Jeff Young, Jeff Opa," you know, all going Korean drama on them, and they're all like, "Jeff, Jeff, why why are you making that noise?" Uh, you know, uh, uh, and then you know they go to Jeff Young or Opa, and they're like, "Hey, can you?" Like, we know we treated you bad this whole time, but can you, can you, can you, can you come help us out? Like, we really, really need you, right? So, Jeff's like, alright. He's like, wait, let me get this straight. If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. The elders are like, yeah, that's what's gonna happen. And may the Lord be my witness, right? So, He's like, okay, so so he he agrees, and he they they have this little like nice little ceremony, and it's like before God, and and then they recognize him, and they make him the head, and you know what happens is the first thing he does is just to summarize is he sends some messengers to the king of the Ammonites, and he's like, hey man, like why do you guys want to fight against us? Like what what's the problem? You know, and and he's like trying to figure out, and he tries to do it peacefully, you know, because he's just trying to get his way with like the least casualties and the least work, you know? So he's like, you know, can we just like peacefully figure something out? And they're like, 
king of the Ammonites is like, no, you stole this land from us when you came from the land of Egypt, you know, with Moses and Joshua and all that, you know, parting of the Red Sea, ah, prince of Egypt, you know, all that stuff. They're chilling in the desert for 40 years. And then the, the Ammonites are like, hey, you stole this land from us. And then from verses like uh, 15 to 28, Jeff just goes, hey, man, Look, 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 let me tell you what happened. You know, we're chilling around, we're going around the, the wilderness, and we're trying to go through these people, you know, and we, we go, we're in the land of Edom, and we're like, hey, Edomite king, can we just go through? And the king of Edom's like, nah, man, we don't want to do that. And we're like, okay, fine, chill. And we go to this place, and they're like, hey, can we go through? No, no, okay, fine, we'll go around. And then finally, they go to uh, one place, it's the land of the Amorites. And I want you to, you know, if you have a little pen, or you, you have a finger to... Uh, you know, poke your tablet or phone, highlight the section. It says in verse 21, 11, chapter 11, verse 21, And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated him. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country, and they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And then skip down to 24, and he says that, And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Okay, so what happens is, there's this land of the Amorites, and they get threatened. So they're, they're like, oh snap, there's all these like billion Jews out here, the Israelites. We're scared. We're just going to make war. And then what happens is like, okay, Israelite, you want some of this? All right, let's fight. They fight against them. And then they, the word they use is, is uh, God dispossesses the Amorites from before his people Israel. Okay, so it says that he dispossesses the land that the Amorites had. Okay, and, and once it was dispossessed, it was like up for grabs, right? That kind of thing. And then what happens? The Israelites, they not only, um, you know, beat the Amorites, but they take possession of it. Okay, all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Okay, so he's like, hey man, uh, and, and, you know, the way, when I was reading this, like, I was just imagining, like, like Samuel L. Jackson. Like, Jeff Fath, he just got all, like, gangster on him. He, like, ghetto gangster on him. He was just like, hey, l- l- listen, King Ammonites, listen, listen. Look, 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 clearly God dispossessed the land of the Ammonites. Hey, sh- listen, you know? And he, and he's just going at it, and then he just ends it strong. If you read in verse 27, it says, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. So he ends it gangster, you know? He's like, yo, look, look, look. The, the Lord be the judge of all this, okay? Look, this is... You can make up this little, fabricate this lie. This is what I believe happened. But hey, at the end of the day, the Lord will be the judge. Drop the mic and go. You know, and he drops the mic, you know, he just walks off stage kind of thing. But what happens in 28, the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jepheth that he sent to him, right? So you could even tell, like, as Jepheth speaking different things that God did as he's recalling the events of God, remembering what God did, remembering his faithfulness, remembering how God was the God who fought for his people from generation to generation. You see this faith rising up in him, right? And he's like, let God be our judge. Right? And he's, he's ending with this note of faith. And what happens in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. 
you know, I read this uh, passage a few weeks ago, and I just knew this is what God wanted me to preach on tonight. Because you see what happened here was, you know, Jeff uh, he's, he has his faith rising up, and bam, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And as you can tell, those of you who have a Bible, you can see the title. What, what does it say? Anyone, someone shout it out. What's the title of the section called right before verse 29? Say it loud and proud. Jeff's tragic vow, right? Anybody here know what happens? Okay, thank you, my brave man. Can you tell? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so what happens is, I'll just read it. In verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So to summarize what happens is, you know, he beats the Ammonites. It's quick. It's done. He's mad happy. Because can you imagine what was going on and why even Jeff would want to make this kind of vow? Remember his background? Remember he grew up, he was driven out of his homeland. He was driven out from his own family. And finally he gets this opportunity just laid out in front of him. Remember they're coming, Jeff Young, Jeff Opa. You know, they're coming to him and they're like, hey, We'll make you the head of all the people that kicked you out. He's like, man, this is my time to get what I what I wanted all this time. This is my time to get recognition. And almost this is my time to get back at the people who, who, who wronged me. He wants this so bad. But he experiences God. He has his faith rising up. Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Then what happens? He just walks through some land, you know, Gilead to Manasseh. And then Manasseh to Mizpah, and then Mizpah, and then back to Gilead. You know, he just he just walks this weird little triangle thing, and then, and then he makes this crazy vow, like, "Hey, I'm Lord. Uh, you know, I I really want this, and I really want to beat the Ammonites. So can you, like, like I'll offer as a sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house." And I'm like, "What what happened?" So he wins. He goes home. He's so happy. He's like, finally, I'm going to be the head of the Ammonites. I mean, head of, head of, Ammon, head of Gilead. None of y'all caught that. Come on. Come on. Be with me, man. All right. So, you know, he becomes the head of Gilead. Ammonites, he just, he just destroyed. And he comes back and then says his only daughter comes out of the front door. It's like, what is going on? What? Anybody here the only daughter? You, that would suck if that was you, right? Like, oh my goodness, right? Only son, only daughter, whatever. Like, and it's just like, and you're reading this, and you're like, no, no way, God. You know, you're just gonna be like, okay, I mean, God got nice and forgave, and you know, didn't do do it. But no, no, no. What happens is, he he comes out. He's like, no. <laughs> he goes all dramatic Shakespeare on him on on the whole scene, and. He's like, no, daughter. No, daughter. I made this vow with God. And he's like, I, I got to keep my word. And, the, and the, what the daughter says is, that's fine. You could keep your word because you made a vow to the Lord. Only daughter, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just like, um, you know, and, and what happens? She's like, okay, but let me just go to the mountains for two months because 
I'm a virgin and I haven't been married yet and let me just mourn with my girlfriends and chill for two months and eat bonbons and watch chick flicks and you know just reminisce and, and just hope for the life I could have had and they come back and and they don't say like oh she was crucified or whatever but you know what she says was um, let this thing be done for me leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity and eat bonbons I and my I and my companions right he says go at the end of the two months verse 39 she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. The Bible's crazy. Like, you you only read about this stuff, like, you wouldn't expect it from the Bible. You're like, really? Like, God would want this in the Bible? And, and it got me thinking, why would Jeff Abbott want to make this kind of vow? You know, he, he gets this opportunity, this God-given opportunity. He speaks out. He feels, he goes, Samuel Jackson, you know, he gets faith rising up. Boom, Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, as he's going to Mizpah and Gizpah and Gilead, or wherever he's going, you know, he's going to Gilead, he's going to Philead and Gilead, and, you know, he's going to all these places. And finally he sees the Ammonites. He sees a lot of them. Thousands of them. If not tens of thousands of them. And it's like, with each step, step, I, I'm wondering, is like, I don't know if God's gonna, you know, follow through with his word. He's going to Gilead. I, I don't know if God's gonna keep me as the head of Gilead. Whoa, that's, that's a lot more Ammonites than I thought was originally there. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if God's going to follow up with his word. Oh, God, let me make this vow with you. Let me make this vow with you that, man, if you give me the Ammonites, I'll give you the first thing. I'll sacrifice it. Right, The first thing that comes out of my house. And he makes this rash decision. He makes this vow not by faith, but of flesh. And for those of you who especially for those of you who have gone to the retreat this past weekend, you've experienced God. You've been touched by God in a powerful way. And for many of you that didn't go to this retreat, you know, you coming here to Korea, God's been touching you. God's been tugging at your heart this whole time. And every week you're coming out here, you're like, oh, I feel a little guilty, I feel a little convicted for, you know, what I did, you know, last thir Thursday, Thursday, or, you know, whatever. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But, but either way, God's tugging at your heart. He's touching you. And you're experiencing Him. You know, when I first went to college and when I first went to a different nation, whether it's for missions or, or I just got to see believers in other areas, I got to see, wow, God is so much bigger than the God I knew in my small little Philly bubble. You know, and I'm, you know, I went to Kazakhstan. I saw, you know, worshipers of God who would be persecuted, who were stoned to death. And, and, and then they'll, they'll, they'll literally supernaturally be risen from the dead and they go back to their villages and then they'll witness to their families. And, you know, these, and I got to, you know, worship with, like, Indian believers at this huge conference in Pusan 2007 where we had over 20,000 people come, over 200 nations represented. And I was like, man, I'm praying with my brothers from Congo here. I'm worshiping and praying with my brothers and sisters from India here. And I'm like, man, God is so much bigger than I thought. And, and for those of you, you guys are experiencing that right now. You're seeing, wow, God is so much bigger than what I initially thought. He's touching you. 
And some of you, he's touching you in a more powerful and tangible way. Whether it's like, you know, bam, Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. Or it's this, like, you feel this faith rising up in you, even as you speak and even as you come here and worship, right? But it doesn't end there, you know? And just because you have this mountaintop experience with God, it doesn't mean that trials and testings won't come. You know, Jeff Damn, Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he's, he's going to these different places. He's not on that mountaintop experience somewhere. He's going to the valley and he's, he's seeing the thousands, tens of thousands of Ammonites and he's like, I don't know if I can do this. And, and doubt is creeping in. And doubt is almost overshadowing faith. And for those of you who feel like, man, did that really happen this past weekend? Did God really touch me or was that just emotions? Was that just because that speaker was like really funny or that praise leader was like amazingly good? You know, like, was it, is it because of that or, you know, is it just my emotions or, you know, like, is, I know some of you guys are thinking it. Some of you guys are doubting God's, it's only been like two days, but don't tell me, you know, this is two, this is even two verses and, and you see, uh, Jeff making this fleshly vow. I felt like, man, this is what God wants us to hear tonight. Where it's not just about, it is about the mountaintop experience. It is about experiencing God in a tangible way that you've never experienced Him before. But God does not want you to stay there. He brings you to the valley and what really happens is He wants you to know Him in a deeper way. So, you know, there's another uh, story that really parallels this. This guy named Abraham, right? And Abraham, he's the father of our faith. But what happens is, you know, he was barren. His, him and his wife were barren. They're mad, old, and decrepit. You know, they're all like making like they're Korean. They be making kimchi and you know, yo, bo, you know, and they're just like mad, old, you know, and they're just chilling in this like land where they just like of Ur, where they're like worshiping moons and stuff. And then God just comes to him. He's like, hey, you're gonna be a father of many, many people, many nations, and you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, sands in the sea, uh, sands in the, in the beach, or in the sea, whatever. And what happens is, he like, okay, long story short, Sarai becomes Sarah. She's not barren anymore. She gets a child, and they have this son named Isaac, right? And, you know, Abraham's like, I finally got a son, you know? He's like wrestling with her, you know, giving him noogies. I love this guy, you know, and all this stuff. And then, bam, God goes, sacrifice him. And what the... Uh, didn't you just say, like, I'm going to have, like, mad kids and stuff? And, like, as numerous as, like, the sands and the sea or something or in the beach or whatever, you know? And, and then, he's going up. And it's interesting because Jephthah, you know, he, his thing was, man, boom, Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He's stepping, stepping, and he's doubting. He's doubting. He's doubting. Like, man, is God going to fall through? But Abraham, he's going up this mountain. And, you know, his, <laughs> Isaac, I got to give it to Isaac. Isaac's like, hey, Dad, where, what are we doing? Dumb kid. You know, he's just, I'm sorry, Isaac. I'm sorry. You're not a dumb kid. You're just innocent like a lamb, you know, representing Jesus. Uh, anyways, um, you know, and, and, and Isaac's just like, what's happening? Like, where's the sacrifice? Oh, God will provide the sacrifice, son. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, he's all crying. He's going up. And then, and then you know, they, they go up. He's like, all right, that's what we're going to do to sacrifice. He's like, 
Yes, son. Yes, son. Give me And then he just grabs him, and then I just feel like, yo, what the, what the heck is going on, dad? You know? Actually, we don't know what it was really like, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but that, that's how I imagine it. Um, but then, bam, what happens? And if you guys like, uh, like old art, you know, Rembrandt, he made all these, like, Jesus and, uh, pictures and disciples and there's this picture uh, where Abraham's about to kill Isaac you know he goes like this and you see an angel just come stop him and, and you see that like the way Rembrandt drew it was he drops the knife like mid swing you know just to capture like the moment you know the intensity of <gasps> you know and he just drops it because he's like this close in killing his son right and that's kind of what happens here and then what happens, you know, it says, hey, you don't have to do this. And because you believed, you know, it was credited to you as righteousness. And it's very similar to this whole Jephthah story. But the outcome was different, you know. And God was involved in both times. And there was a child sacrifice that was either going to happen or happened. But the difference was, you know, with Abraham and Isaac, the one that was tested was the one giving the sacrifice. But with Jephthah and his only daughter, he was the one testing God. And how many of us here, we test God? How many of us here, we're like, man, I want this so bad. I want this so bad that I'll do anything. God, God, give me, look, Give me that A. Let me get to this, you know, program. Let me get into this grad program. Let me get this job, this internship. And I will be a missionary for two weeks next year, you know. And, and you know, we're like, hey, God, you know. And you want something so bad. You know, Jeff Feth wanted this position so bad that he made this compromise. He tested God. And the thing about Abraham and Isaac was the outcome, you know, it, it wasn't, Fulfilled because of the intervention of God. But with Jephthah and his only daughter, it was fulfilled because of the absence of God. And I'm reading this, I'm like, man, how many times am I tempted, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's me wanting to know what my calling is, or, you know, me wanting to, you know, live for God's glory and, and, and whatever, like, how many times am I putting God to the test? And how much of God is present in that area of my life? God was all, all over the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. He was silent, Jephthah and his only daughter. So, you know, he loses his daughter. And this is what spoke to me crazy. She was a virgin. And, you know, in this culture, in this time, women, I love you, and, you know, women power, yeah. You know, now, and, you know, we're all about equal rights, you know, universal inalienable rights, UDHR. But in this time, the sole value, the culmination of value and purpose of a woman was in what? Their ability and their capacity to give birth. 
to make some babies, to pop some babies out, you know? And, and if you couldn't do that, it's like, what's the point, you know? And it made me, I was wondering, like, why, why is, why did they mention here, not just the only child, but, but a virgin? And you see, the outcome of Abraham and Isaac's sacrifice, it guaranteed both future and hope. A future and a hope for Abraham and all his descendants. But for Jepheth and his only daughter, with her being gone now, it removed a hope in the future. And because Jepheth wanted to take matters into his own hands, because he compromised, because he let doubt come in, and he let the circumstances you know, overcome the spiritual truths. And as and because his eyes were focused on the seen things, which are temporary, but not the eternal things, which are unseen, what does he do? Well, he's, he's able to... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> darn it. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I had it. Oh, darn it. Okay, anyways. Um, Shakaraba. Help me, Lord. Um... What I'm trying to say is, yeah, how much of God are you allowing in various areas of your life? And how much of it are you really just letting God really take control? Another difference between Abraham and Jephthah was Abraham knew God's heart. On the surface, everything looked good. Jephthah was even, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He did amazing things. He delivered the Israelites. He did amazing things. He didn't know God's heart. And it's important that if you read earlier on, like there was such a mixture in the Israelites and in their beliefs. Like they believed in like pagan gods and the gods of Baal and the God of Yahweh. And even his language shows this. And it's important to note that because you could see it. That, that's why he's treating God the way he is. That's why he's testing God. And for the, some of you guys in here, you need to Really have the mind of Christ. You need to let the mind of Christ renew your thoughts. You need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because some of you are coming from different backgrounds. You have different worldviews that are, are, that are just putting these things on the image of God and making you think and see Him in a certain way. But you gotta read this word and see His heart. Because God wants you to know His heart. Amen? You gotta let this word, you can't just study the word of God. You gotta let the word of God study you. You gotta let it redefine your, your thoughts. Write it upon your heart. You see, when Jephthah made this vow, he made his relationship with God in a contract. He lost the whole essence of love in a covenant. He lost that. And the whole point of this is, you know, just as Abraham knew God's heart, that's the word for you tonight. There's another man who had a very similar experience. Boom, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He got baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. I love him. I love him. This is my son. He's baptized. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't eat a single thing. And he gets tested. You know, Jephthah, he, he wasn't walking for 40 days, but he was walking. And he was tested. And you saw him fail. But this man, 
40 days fasting. Bam, Satan comes to them and he says, hey, make these stones into bread. Come on, you're God, you can do this. Bam, Jesus says, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then, you know, Satan takes him up, final temptation, and says, you can have all the kingdoms here. And he just shows it like, boom, in a flash. Say, all you got to do is just bow down and worship me. And you see, God sent his son, Jesus, as the Messiah. And for those of you who don't, Messiah is just a, it's just a fancy word for salvation, okay? And, you know, the Jews, you see it throughout the Old Testament, they were all about a kingdom. They're all about being the kingdom of God and establishing the kingdom of God and, and spreading its reign everywhere. But when Jesus came, you know, they were like, oh, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's supposed to bring the kingdom of God. And it's finally going to happen. And that was like the main reason why God came here, to establish his kingdom. And he could have had it in a second. All he had to do was bow down. He could have, number one, the, this book would have been a lot lighter. Secondly, he wouldn't have had to done three years of ministry. He wouldn't have had to be betrayed by one of his twelve. He wouldn't have had to have lived this kind of, like he was in heaven. You know what I mean? Like, now who, like anyone here take a really nice vacation, you know? And it's like, you know, you get pampered and you go to a hotel and they give you like new towels and it's the best feelings. Nice warm towel on your face, you know, and you don't have to eat. You don't have to eat. You don't have to pay for anything. You just eat anything you want. It's like really good. But heaven's like that times a gajabillion. You know, and God had all that with his son Jesus. Jesus comes to this dirty place. He's chilling in the desert. He's born in a in a stanky manger. And he could have taken the easy way out. And he could have just taken matters into his own hand. He could have made a little contract and said, all right, say in here, let me just bow down. Boom. Okay, my mission is accomplished. But what does he say? You will only worship the Lord your God and have no other gods before me. You see, Jesus knew God's heart. And for those of you who have experienced God, you know, on the mountaintop, I got touched this past weekend on the laying on of hands or you know, one, two, three, Chuyo, Jesus! You know, like old school Korean style revival. Bam, what you know about that? You know, it's like, or, or just, you know, the, the holy fear of God coming on you, repentance. It's a beautiful thing. When, when you know it's not your words coming out, but, but something more powerful. There's a joy in repentance. There's a joy in God transforming you. Whether it's that, or whether you've just been blessed here every single week or through your familia, through, again, the amazing praise, you know, it's, <laughs> oh, snap, it's a magic trick. All right. Um, thank you. <laughs> I will stop touching things. Um, uh, when it comes down to it, God wants you to know his heart. And the one thing one way, I guess I should say the worst way to not know God's heart is to run away from a community like this. Lock the doors, Tina. <laughs> you know, it's... Because this is what happens, you know. You just, you experience different things, certain things. 
and then you're like, hey, I, I just start, I don't know if that was real, I'm kind of doubting that, I'm not sure about this Emmaus, Emmaus, like, I don't know how to say it, you know, yeah, praise is really great, but I don't know about that campus director, you know, she's cute though, but you know, I, I may stay for that, but you know, anyways, um, Tina, stop getting red, uh, you know, but the last thing you want to do is, is just kind of think to yourself and just make your own judgments in that way. You know, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as yourself. If Christianity was just about you loving God, and just this thing right here, vertical thing, you could be on a desert island like that, like Tom Hanks in Castaway, and just be, oh, glory to God, Wilson! You know, I don't need you. I don't need you, Wilson, you know? If that's all the Christian life is about, then why, why is the second commandment so important? And I'm not saying you gotta love everyone here. Like, some are easier to love than others. But you're supposed to love them at the end. <laughs> But the whole concept of being a Christian, being a disciple, being a follower of Christ is in the context of a community. And it's not about uniformity, but it's about unity. And it's about a love that covers over a multitude of sins. So you got to stay in a community. You can't do this Christian thing by yourself. Jesus says, you know, they're like sheep that have gone astray. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Because they just go to do their own thing. Ba-ba-ba! You know, they just go, they get caught... You know, caught by a, by a stupid coyote wolf. And bam, they're done, you know? Like, <laughs> what am I talking about right now? And I'm telling you, you stay here, I guarantee you, I will, I will pay for, maybe not your plane ticket back, but I will pay for a meal or two. <laughs> I will guarantee it. Tina and I will guarantee it by buying you a meal or two. <laughs> Tina will guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee that if you stay here, you'll get God's heart. It's not just about the community. It's about the discipleship. It's about studying this together. It's about doing this Christian thing together. Amen? Let's pray.